0: good morning welcome 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 we are so very glad you're here whether you're joining us in person yeah or online it's like nice to have people in the house we've been slowly building and building uh i'm slowly getting more and more used to you guys being here again so uh you know before when you weren't here i was just talking to the camera And making jokes and nobody laughed, which isn't new, but it's like, it's weird either way. So uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad you're there. If you're still online, we still love you at home. Um, Yeah, hope to see you guys soon as well. We are in week eight of our series, Nothing Changes If Nothing Changes. And I want to begin with a bold statement for our lives and for our world. Something that may be a bit edgy. I think our world should be better. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's super edgy. Super edgy. It's polarizing. It's, yeah. What, what's happening in our world? It's such a crazy mess. It's such a crazy mess. What I found strange is that as we've gone through this series, how like well-timed this whole thing has been for this everything we're dealing with. And so I just keep going, wow, it's crazy. We'd put this series off for so long, and then to do it when we did, or doing it, and then to have everything kind of play out the way it does, it's almost like somebody was guiding the whole thing. So uh, it's just, even today, week eight is is even crazier. Week eight is even crazier with Things that are happening in our world and and the steps and what we're going to talk about. So, uh, man, I'm so glad that you guys are here to be a part of. This. So, week eight, step eight, we're looking at essentially the spirituality, the theology of the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, last week, we did step seven. We talked about, uh, which is to humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. We talked about prayer. We talked about posture. We talked about progress. We talked about um, this idea of, of, of the paradox between responsibility and grace, that it's entirely up to us, and it's entirely not up to us. We talked about how at this stage in the 12-week, in the 12-week, 12, uh, 12, week, 12 weeks, 12-step 12 series, 12-step process, uh, step seven is the point where the thing that was so very hard for us to do at the very beginning, which is this idea of humility, letting the self go, dying to the self, that should be something at this point in step seven that we actually look forward to, or as we move into step eight, that we should embrace, that we should seek to find humility for the sake of transformation. So, step eight, let's get into step eight. Here's what it says, according to AA and Celebrate Recovery. Step eight, made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. (laughs) We made a list of, uh, that was uh, AA, Celebrate Recovery says it this way, we made a list of persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Luke 6, 31, do to others as you would have them do unto you. So this is where we take this step seven, which is this newfound appreciation for humility. And then we have like this next little tiny baby step. We're embracing the humility, we're embracing the humbleness, and we're taking just a couple little baby steps forward in the pursuit of humility. We're moving beyond the self. We're moving beyond the self enough so that we can begin to consider others, that we can begin to consider our relationship with others and with God on a deeper level. So there's two steps to this component, to to step eight. There's two components to this step. I said that backwards. First is to make a list. The second is to become willing to make amends. This is not, you're going to make amends yet. This is be willing to make amends, right? It's baby steps. You're not fully there yet. you still got some work to do. This is, you have to be able to crawl before you can walk. And really, you guys could all go home now because that's the homework. Make a list, become willing. Thanks for coming. God bless. I know you were like excited. We come back to church. Seth does the shortest sermon in the history of him talking and we go home. But the good news is we'll be early to lunch. So step eight, part one, make a list. Make a list of all the people you've harmed, not the people that have harmed you. This is no longer about you being a victim. This is about you, again, taking ownership, about you taking ownership for your behavior and your actions. You need to do this. This is something you should do. If you're looking for transformation, this is something that you should do. Take time this week, today, tomorrow, this month, Begin to compile a list of people that you have brought harm to. Who comes to mind? Who comes to mind? That's part one. Part two of step eight, become willing to make amends, right? You're not fully, you're not ready yet to fully make amends, but you need to come to the place where you can begin to see yourself doing that. It's okay, I'm ready for this. I know what lies ahead of me will be tough, but I'm emotionally, mentally, spiritually ready to step into this place. So many of these steps, what's fascinating to me, so many of these steps fall under this umbrella of the teachings of Jesus. I know it's crazy, right? It's crazy. So many of these steps fall under the teachings of Jesus, under the umbrella of one particular teaching of Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 says this. Look at what Jesus says here. Uh, Do not judge or you too will be judged. I wonder if that carries any weight in our world today. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I can't believe what those people are doing. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When all the time there is a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. These steps can be difficult because they're about recognizing the two by four that's sticking out of our eye. It's about doing the work and taking the steps to pull the plank out of our own eye. And you know what happens? You know what happens when you get something in your eyes? It becomes very difficult to see, doesn't it? It becomes very difficult to see things clearly. Which, by the way, the ego, the self, is a form of a plank. Your worldview is a form of a plank. How you were raised is a form of a plank. How you were taught to think about God is a form of a plank. It all affects how we see things, and sometimes we don't see so clearly. This is what we see happening in our world today, isn't it? A whole lot of people that don't see or acknowledge or understand that we all have some sort of plank in our own eye, pointing at everybody else's plank in their eyes. This is why whatever side, wherever your opinion is on what's happening in our country, the reality is it's because of the plank that we all have, our various planks that we all have, that we aren't seeing clearly. Which is why we have to begin to learn to deal with our own messed mess first. Which is why when we talk about a better you and a better world, a better world begins with a better you and a better you begins with what are you doing now? You see, larger transformation Larger transformation will only be possible when we begin with the self. It begins with the individual and then moves to the systemic. Until we deal with the self first, the the, the greater transformation within the entirety of our systems will be an uphill battle. So all these steps are about us. These are all about us. But they're all about us working with and through the power of God in order to deal with the plank that's in our eye. And, and it may be easy, maybe you've been following in the series, you may show up and it may seem like we're saying a lot of, it's all what you do, it's about what you do, it's about what you do. Yeah, it is, partially. But if you go back and you remember the first several of these steps, one is what? To admit that you are powerless. Step two is to believe in a power greater than the self that can restore you to sanity. Step three is to surrender control to that sanity, to, 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 that, to that power. So absolutely, there is responsibility on your part. Yeah, you have to do some of the work. You have to do the work. But don't for one second believe that any of this is going to be possible without divine intervention. It's both and. You do the work, but God does the work. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? It works together. So step eight, step eight then, step eight becomes one of these more concrete steps in the process. The first part is making the list of the people you have harmed. This is difficult. This, is, this can take time. And just because we're doing this like in a weekly sermon, like one step a week, doesn't mean you're actually going to go through these steps week by week because they take a lot. They take a lot emotionally, spiritually, mentally. I'd say it's nearly impossible to do a step a week if you're really going to put the work in. If you're actually going to do the deep diving of the self to seek the transformation, it's not going to be a weekly, weekly step by step process. The goal here is not to accomplish something. Well, I went through the steps. The goal here is deep, lasting transformation. Now, when it comes to step eight, the reason people get stuck here is because, for a couple different reasons. One is because it takes time to make an adequate list when we think about people to whom we've done harm. We'll talk about that in a second. The other reason is we may or may not be ready to step to that level of humility. I might not be ready and able to see myself asking that particular person for forgiveness or be willing to assume a posture of humility in which i am ready to make things right with another that's okay it's okay it's okay the caterpillar does not become a butterfly overnight you my friends i my friends am a caterpillar it takes time it takes process it takes process to bring true transformation That's what's great about step eight. Whether it's AA or Celebrate Recovery, these paths, these steps are designed to push you, to push us, to push me as the addict, as the sinner, out of our selfishness. You see, what's crazy is that it's really, it's really this, especially this step is very straightforward. Make a list and prepare yourself to get over yourself. It's not an easy one, maybe, but it's pretty straightforward. When it comes to the messages and the teachings of Jesus, Jesus was continually calling people to follow him, and he was always up front about what it meant to become one of his disciples. He was always up front about what it meant to follow him, to walk with him on his path. Look at what Mark 8 says. This is Jesus talking. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to lose their life will save it. You want to follow me? Get over yourself. Oh, and by the way, when you can actually get over yourself, this is where the good stuff is. This is where life Is. What's that verse? We pull that verse back up. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. When you're able to get over yourself, when you're able to lay the self down truly, this is where you will find life. So step eight, part one, make a list of all the people you have harmed. Now, in order to talk about making this list of people we have harmed, we might do well to define harm a little bit. Because you may have thought, well, I've never really done harm to anybody. And maybe we're thinking of, like, these big type of things, like, well, I didn't cheat on my wife, therefore no harm, no foul. Okay, well, maybe you didn't cheat on your wife, but, like, uh, maybe you neglected your wife for the sake of a hobby. Yeah, so what do you do with that? So how do we define harm? Maybe it's not just the big stuff. Um, In the AA curriculum, it talks about, it defines harm this way. Take a look. To define the word harm in a practical way, we might call it the result of instincts in collision, which cause physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual damage to people. Okay, this is, this is how they kind of define it. Now, it goes on a little bit and, and clarifies it and breaks it down into like smaller, more subtle categories that I think is really important for us to keep an eye on. Take a look at this, it goes on. If our tempers are constantly bad, we arouse anger in others. If we lie or cheat, we deprive others not only of their worldly goods, but of their emotional security and peace of mind. We really uh, really issue them an invitation to become contemptuous and vengeful. If our sex conduct, conduct is selfish, we may excite jealousy, misery, and a strong desire to retaliate in kind. Such gross misbehavior is not by any means a full catalog of the harms we do. Let us think of some of the subtler ones which can sometimes be quite as damaging. Suppose that in our family lives we happen to be miserly, irresponsible, callous, or cold. Suppose that we are irritable, critical, impatient, and humorless. Suppose we lavish attention upon one member of the family and neglect the others what happens when we try to dominate the whole family either by a run a run of iron or by a constant outpouring of minute direction for just how their lives should be lived from hour to hour what happens if we wallow in depression self-pity oozing from every pore and inflict that upon those about us such a roster of harms done others the kind that make daily living with us as practicing alcoholics or sinners difficult and often unbearable, could be extended almost indefinitely. Such a roster of harm done others, the kind that makes living with us often unbearable, could be extended almost indefinitely. Have you ever had the thought, or maybe we need to say this to ourselves, or maybe we just need to think this from time to time, like, You're probably harder to get along with than you think. No. No. I'm easy. I'm great to get along. Everybody loves me, and if they shouldn't, it's because of them. You're probably harder to get along with than you think. We all have planks in our eyes, which means we all don't see clearly. So when you're making a list of all the people you have harmed... This is about taking the focus off of you. It's much easier to make a list of people that you feel like harmed you and much more difficult to make a list of people that you may have hurt. It's also difficult to think through all the people you may have hurt because it's not just the big stuff. That's what they're trying to say. It's the minute stuff. It's the minutia of the everyday. Are you overly critical? Maybe so much so that you don't even notice. If that's the case, maybe your list needs to be a lot longer than you first thought. Maybe you're overly bossy. These are harms. Maybe you withhold love. Maybe you continually insert your opinion where your opinion is not asked for. (laughs) These are harms. Based on the definition of harm, we should all be able to make a list. Can I get an amen? There you go. There you go. We're all in this together. Step eight, part one, make a list. Part two, make a list of the people we've harmed. Become willing to make amends to them all. Okay, the first part we get, it's easy to grasp conceptually. I make a list of people I've hurt. It may take me some work to think about all the people I've hurt based on this definition of harm, but conceptually I understand making a list. The second bit about be willing to make amends to them all. This gives us indicators about how we should understand this and it gives us indicators about the difficulty of it. Becoming willing is this process, is a language about the process. Becoming willing is an indicator that this is going to take some time. I'm not going to wake up and and change instantly overnight. This This is going to be process. We would do, in general in life, I think we would do a lot better to think in terms of process rather than perfection, especially when it comes to this. Process, not perfection. If I think in terms of process, then every little step that I take, every little step forward is a victory, and I can celebrate that, and that's a good thing. And then any misstep or any step backwards, then it's not a failure, but rather an opportunity to learn and to grow it's process. If I only think of myself and how I behave and what I'm doing in my spiritual life, and my, in my addictions, and my sin, if I only think in terms of perfection, then every little step is not enough. And then any misstep or backstep then is a failure. And I fail an awful lot. And if I'm going to keep failing, then why should I even continue to try? You see, you'd be much better off to think in terms of process, step by step. It's okay. It's okay. This, this phrasing Um, becoming willing. It's this active verb. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's not just about being willing one time. It's about being willing to make amends to them all. This is going to take a while. This is going to, and guess what? You might keep adding to the list as you're going through the step, which means you're going to have to keep going, through this, to them all. Think about what kind of place you have to come to, to be willing to make amends to them all. Well, it was easy to address that thing with that guy because we we worked that out and that was fine. And and I had that conversation with her and that was a tough one, but we made it through it. But that guy, yeah, I don't know about that guy. Do you have any idea what that guy did to me before I did the thing to him that caused the harm? He had it coming. In fact, I would even say that what I did was justifiable. I'm ready to make amends to almost anybody that I've hurt. Well, almost anybody isn't everybody, isn't all. All is all. All includes even the people you may have felt justified in hurting. This is why this is tough. This is why it takes time. You don't just wake up one day with the humility in your heart to jump to that level of like, yeah, I'm going to humble myself before all. It's like... um, it's like playing video games, especially if you grew up like old Nintendo-type games like I did. Like, it's like you have to work your way up to the boss. You know what I'm saying? You go through the level and you learn and you play along the way, but you get to the boss man at the end and the boss man is like the big villain that you have to try. That's what this is. <laughs> you have a boss at the end of your level and you're working your way through these little ones so the people that you can build up your confidence and you can learn from and you can work on this. human, And then you get to the guy that you just don't really much care for. You're prepared for it by the time you get to that time. It's this ongoing process. You see, in order for us to make an apology in any way that will lead to healing for you and for others, there has to be a sense of respect for the other. If you have no respect for the other, then your apology is going to fall a bit flat. It's like uh, when I ask my daughter, when I tell Ella she needs to apologize to her brothers for being mean or something. Not that she ever is because she's a perfect angel. But what she has a tendency to do when I say, Ella, you need to apologize, she goes like this. (laughs) (laughs) Apologize to your brother. (laughs) I'm like, what What is that? I don't even know what that means. And then then I'll be like, okay, but now you need to hug. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Hug your brothers. And then she does like this it's like a bird flapping its wings, but she stands to the side and is like, I'm like, what is, what is that? What? Sorry. Right? Like (laughs) there are certain people in your life that you think you, you may be calm and collected right now and you're staring at me and you've got your arms folded, you're sitting at home on the couch, whatever, and you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm calm and collected on the outside, but On the inside, there are people that, when I say you need to make amends to them, you're going, (laughs) right? Fine. No, that's not. We're not talking about one of these kind of apologies. Like we're, we're talking about something deep. In order for there to be transformation, there must be healing. And in order for there to be healing there must be forgiveness. In order for there to be forgiveness, there must be a sense of sincere honor and respect given towards the other. And it may be a while before you're ready to respect them as an actual human being again. Sometimes it takes time. It takes time. It takes time. But remember, progress over perfection. This, This is about moving into this process of restoration and healing. The the Bible has actually similar things in place. The Bible talks about a lot of the same stuff. It's stuff that we usually ignore, but it's there. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5. Watch what… Okay. This this is a huge passage, huge passage that I think we minimize. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar… And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Do you catch that? If you are offering your gift at the altar, well, what's happening if you're offering a gift at the altar? Well, this is you're coming to the house of the Lord and you're attempting to worship God. You're, you're working on this relationship. You're... And he says, in order to do that, in order to do that thing, you need to make sure that your relationships with others are squared away first. He says, the way that you are reconciled to God is that you must first be reconciled with your brothers and sisters. Somebody's got something against you, you go to them. A couple things here. First, on a personal note, the Bible understands and points to the idea that in order for you to find healing, true deep transformational healing to be in the proper relationship with God, you have to be at peace with those around you. The second thing, what if you take this thought and you put it into the context of our cultural, of our culture and the unrest that we're currently experiencing. In the context of protest, am I carrying any sort of animosity or bitterness or angst towards certain people? Have you said or done anything to the people around you because of what's happening that would put you at odds with others? If you have, it might just be that you've placed a barrier between you and God that you were not aware of. And by the way, just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean that it's not there. H- have you posted anything on Facebook about how dumb and ignorant and ridiculous the people are that don't share your particular point of view? Have you openly bashed the president? Have you openly bashed the people who are bashing the president? That covers everybody, right? Let's <laughs> I just want to make sure that no group feels singled out here. We're talking about all of us. All, all of us. Here's the thing. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. I'm not saying don't get passionate about what you believe. I'm saying that in order for us to transform, like deep transformation and healing, At some point, we are going to have to do the best we can to find the humility that is required of us. We're going to have to be able to come to the place that we are able to honor and respect people as actual human individuals. Even if you don't agree with them, we're going to have to find a way to be able to reconcile. The scripture says, first go and be reconciled with others. Before you offer your gift. The program says make a list and then be willing to make amends. Right? Is, is it possible that what's keeping you from a deeper healing, a deeper transformation, a deeper relationship with God is that you first haven't reconciled with God's children? Is it possible that if the church, if Christians really want the country to turn back to God, We must do a better job at finding unity amongst the people. Think about this for a second. Jesus says, before you offer your gift, if somebody has something against you, go and make that right. What if the church took that seriously? What if the church took that, the words of scripture seriously to the point that we actually did something about it? Like, who, who might hold something against the church? Who might have issues with the church at some point? Who might the church have hurt in some way, shape, or form? And this isn't a church bashing session, right? The church is made of people. We're all people. We all make mistakes. I understand that. I get that. But on the institutional systemic level of things, who have we intentionally or unintentionally caused problems for? Have we caused problems for people of color ever? In our history or this week? Has the church caused issues for people from the LGBTQ community? Have we caused any hurt there? Have we caused any hurt for people of different faiths? Have we caused any hurt for people of a similar faith that's not as exactly right as we are? Have we caused any hurt towards people that we've made feel that they aren't good enough or they don't belong? Do I need to keep going? If somebody has something against you, go and be reconciled to them before you offer anything to the God you love. I wonder what it would look like if we actually took this seriously. That's why I said this is huge. If we actually live this out. If we actually live this out, it might be a long time before any churches began to meet again, wouldn't it? You want the country to come back to God? You want to see a great, like, uh, revival in the land? Who do you need to reconcile with? What people groups does the church need to make amends to? We have not seen clearly because of the plank in our eye. Step eight. Make a list of all the persons you have harmed. Be willing to make amends to them all. Let, let me give you two thoughts that might help us along this way as we think through this and as we work, with, uh, work through this. When it comes at, uh, to attempting to make peace with friends, family, maybe even our enemies, um, the posture of our apology matters. They need to understand that they were heard. They need to know that you heard how you caused pain and hurt to them. Stephen Covey, I believe, uh, says in, I think it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, in, seek first to understand before you seek to be understood, right? Work on the listening component. There's two terms that I want you to keep in mind, and, and you can take these with you, um, that I think we would do well to embrace as individuals, as individuals who are Christians, as a country. I think these two terms would, would give us a lot of help. They are nonviolent communication, and redemptive listening. Nonviolent communication, redemptive listening. Nonviolent communication is a term that developed kind of in the 80s, and the, the basic idea is that this, is that you as a human being have this capacity within you for compassion and love towards other people. The problem arises when we don't get our way, and we can't find an appropriate venue to meet our needs. We can't talk to it properly, and then we result, the result is violence. The premise is this is a deeper way to interact and communicate interpersonally. The thought behind it is, and you even see this in the world we live in, it's really easy to get on social media and blast somebody with your opinion. It's a lot more different, I don't know if that's good grammar, it's a lot different to sit across the table from somebody, to have a waffle with them, to stare them in the eye, and to have that conversation. Because when you have that conversation, because of the shared humanity that you have, typically there's going to be there's going to be a bit of a softer side to it, isn't it? Because you see their humanity. Nonviolent communication, understanding that they are humans with opinions and when we understand this, we have this capacity to be a bit more forgiving. The other thing is this, redemptive listening. Redemptive listening is learning to listen to one another. While suspending judgment in response, how hard is that? Because the first second that somebody needs to tell you something, what happens? The walls go up, the lines are drawn, and you start looking. You're ready for a quick response. You're looking to get back at them. You're looking for a jab. Right? Non uh, uh, redemptive listening suspending judgment and response as the other is allowed to share where they're at if there's some sort of tension or conflict we often fail to let them fully express themselves because we are too busy working to jump to a conclusion or to figure out a way to defend ourselves rather than just simply being and listening how many situations or conflict could be resolved personally with either one of these? Both of these, nonviolent communication, redemptive listening. I just need you to hear where I'm coming from. Seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. You see, both of these take a certain amount of humility. They take a lot of humility to be able to accomplish. It. To be able to sit and listen under critique or under somebody that, that's that's against where you're at or saying something different, it becomes very difficult. It becomes very difficult to show um, empathy towards one another if you're not willing to first listen to their side. It becomes very difficult to fully listen to their side if your primary response is going to be a defense in which you are discarding or, or, or disregarding what they are trying to tell you. Think about the last argument or discussion you had with somebody. Would it have gone differently if either one of you we're able to apply redemptive listening if either one of you were able to suspend judgment or response while the other person expressed their opinion i mean it doesn't mean like you're going to land on the same page it doesn't mean we're all going to live in this utopia of rainbows and unicorns right that's it's okay but at least have the decency the compassion the humanity, the humility to acknowledge that the other is in fact a human being. Nonviolent communication, redemptive listening. Here's what's crazy to me. In First Corinthians, Paul says this thing. You may be familiar with it. He says this thing where he's like, I became all, people, or all things to all people that by all means. I might save some. Oh, you put that up there. I didn't even put that in. They just put that in for me. That's good job, guys. Thank you. Um, but, uh, is that it? If it is possible, uh, no, sorry, that's the wrong verse. We're not there yet. They didn't do it. I take everything I just said back. But I'm, I'm willing to listen to your side first. Go ahead. Um, Paul says, uh, I became all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Um, we hear that statement. We quote that statement. We teach our kids that statement. Uh, here's the problem with that verse. It's very hard to be all things to all people when you're working really hard to defend your opinion. It becomes very hard to become all things to all people when your primary concern is what you think, or when you are convinced that your way to see things is the only way to say, see things. Why well, become all things to all people? Well, except for the ones who don't see it my way, right? Uh, Maybe becoming all things to all people is about really empathizing with others, about like trying to walk a mile in their shoes. Like, what would it look like if I didn't grow up in the place in the community that I grew up in? Like, what would it look like if I grew up differently, lived a different life, was born a different skin color? What would that look like to walk a mile in those shoes? I might have a different idea and a different perspective on this whole thing, hadn't I? You see, so whether we're talking about you and and we're talking about recovery from addiction to sin or addiction or recovery from sin, as it relates to step eight, whether we're talking about individually or whether we're talking about, like, the systemic issues we see that we're now facing, talking about how do we move forward from the giant mess that we see on the news each and every day, I would suggest that things like the practice of nonviolent communication and redemptive listening might go a long way. The other thing is this, Romans 12, here's the verse that we were actually going to look at. This is another crazy verse that is in the Bible that we read, that we quote, that we point to a lot that I don't think we fully allowed to sink in. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Or, you know, the people that you're friends with on Facebook. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, I don't really like that one. (laughs) Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord which is great, except for Paul goes on to say this. On the contrary, wait a second, Paul. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. (laughs) Did you hear what he said? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Anyone. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Are your actions? Putting you in a position that stand in direct opposition to anyone? Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. What a powerful verse for us as individuals. Dealing with things like sin and addiction. What a powerful verse for us as Christians trying to navigate the turmoil of the world we live in. Look at this verse again. and I want, you to, I want you to really let this sink in and wrestle. Verse 19, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. That's from the Old Testament. Paul says, that's what you're familiar with. That's what you've heard. Leave it to God and he'll burn them all. Leave it to God and his justice will prevail. Leave it to God. And Paul says this, On the contrary, my friends, on the contrary, my friends, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. Uh, No, no, no. No, 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 I'm going to leave this to God. God, God's righteous, God's just. He'll burn. Paul says, no, 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 no. You've heard it said, vengeance is the Lord. It's from the Old Testament. That's not what we're doing. It's higher, it's bigger, it's deeper. It's way more difficult than that. It's not God will handle it and justice will be served. It's God saying to you, take care of the one that you currently seem to have animosity against. Man, if only the Bible was relevant to our world. Wouldn't that be great? If only this ancient book of wisdom had things to speak into our modern world. (laughs) Whatever side of the political aisle you find yourself on in this moment, my guess is you might have a few thoughts about what you don't much care for about the other side. And as you watch the news, and as you see the protests and the anti-protest, Whatever side you find yourself pulling for in this moment, can I say to you, and I want you to listen carefully here, because this is what it boils down to. This is what is the hope of the gospel. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Yeah, but you don't know what they're doing. You don't see the stuff behind the scenes. I don't have to if your enemy is hungry feed him yeah but did you hear what they said and what they did when they were feed him do you see what Paul's doing here Do you see why the gospel is powerful? Do you see why when we actually take this and don't just make it about what we know and about how we live and we actually live this into the world, it actually has the ability to transform things? Do you see why this is the actual power of what's happening through Christ? Paul is saying to you, it is not your job to judge what is happening. It is your job to love. Paul says it's your job to love your job is to love your job is to love is there something we're missing here you're so worried about getting this thing out of somebody else's eye you haven't realized what's in yours don't judge step up do something different do you see what he's saying here live in peace with everyone (laughs) this is why it's all so difficult because it goes against everything that we, we currently sense and feel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Don't treat them this way. Treat... Paul says, on the contrary, my friends, if your enemy is hungry, you feed them. Your job is love. Step eight, make a list of all the persons we have harmed and become willing, to make amends to them all, to them all. You see, this stuff works if you work it. Make a list, become willing. It's not perfection, it's process. You, my friends, are on the path to a deep and lasting transformation, and transformation takes time. Give yourself grace and understand that grace is being given to you. Make a list and be willing to make...